the final episode of Season 1 of Story of the Sikhs, the fifth guru Arjun creates a third great institution that will forever define the character of Sikhs and Sikhism. This is co-producer Erica Wong, welcoming you to join us on this fascinating journey. June 5th, 1984, 6.30 a.m. A volley of bullets from automatic weapons. A frail old form, bloodied, falls to the ground just outside the Harmandar Sahib, the Golden Temple in Amritsar, never to rise again. His gnarled hands do not clutch an AK-47 or even an old bolt-action rifle. His sightless eyes look up at the morning sky as the life ebbs out of him. He is by Amrik Singh, the blind head ragi or minstrel at the Sri Harmandar Sahib. Operation Blue Star the Indian Army's assault of the Harmandar Sahib was in progress. There were smoke everywhere and piles of corpses lined the usually spotless marble promenade that surrounds the temple. The sounds of gunfire were punctuated by the deep rumble of heavy artillery as tanks and other ordnance were deployed by the army. The story of Pai Amrik Singh's death was recounted to the investigative team of human rights activists sent to Amritsar by Citizens for Democracy in the aftermath of Operation Blue Star by his adopted son Pai Harcharan Singh Raggi, who was inside the Harmandar Sahib when the attack started on June 4, 1984. There are many tragic and poignant stories that filtered out after Operation Blue Star, despite the effectiveness of the Indian government's propaganda machine and its attempts to whitewash the brutal massacre. The accounts of various eyewitnesses tell unbelievable stories of brave sick men and women who, despite the flying bullets and the incessant bombardment, made valiant attempts to follow the daily routine of prayer and worship that the faithful were used to. They tried to keep singing the Asa Divar, the Ballad of Asa, at the Harmandar Sahib in the morning, complete the prayers in the evening, and carry on the uninterrupted distribution of Prashad, a sweet concoction of flour, sugar, and butter that signifies the Guru's blessing, and is given to everyone who visits the temple. Who in their right minds would be worrying about maryada or tradition at a time like this? What could possibly inspire ordinary men and women to rise to such extraordinary heights of bravery and commitment? Decades after Operation Blue Star, as I start to reflect on Pai Amrik Singh, and the thousands of the other unwitting martyrs of 1984, my thoughts go back to the original Sikh martyr and the dignity and grace with which he submitted to the will of God almost 500 years earlier. Perhaps it was no accident that when the Indian army attacked the Sri Harmandar Sahib complex in 1984, the vast majority of the innocent men, women, and children who perished had come to commemorate the martyrdom of Guru Arjun, the fifth Sikh Guru.
Spurgeon's beloved Sikh, Baigurdas, who was also his uncle and his scribe, had this to say about the martyrdom of his beloved Guru. Rende gur daryao vich meen kuleen het nirbani, darsan dek patang jyon jyoti andar jyot samani, sabd surt liv mirg jyon peed pai chit avar na jani, charan kaval mil pavar jyon, sukh sampat vich rain vihani, gur updes na visre babihe jyon aakh vakhani, गुरमुख सुख फल परमरस सहज समाद साध संग जानी गुरु अर्जन विटो कुर्बानी इंब्यूड इन द लॉर्ड रिलीज फाइंड्स ही अ जॉयस फिश इन वाटर फ्री विद द लाइट ऑफ गॉड हिज सोल डस मर्ज टुवर्ड्स द फ्लेम द मॉथ डस सर्ज लॉस्ट इन द लॉर्ड ही बेयर्स हिज पेन ऑन द हंटर आईज ऑफ द फॉन्ड रिमेन in honey drenched a drunken bee of pain and suffering he is free to the sacred words he clings the trilling songbird sweetly sings sweet solace peace a gentle calm love of his flock a soothing balm this wondrous tale of glorious flight to you i am a sacrifice such was the glorious passing of guru arjan perhaps it was his spirit that pervaded the innocent martyrs of 1984 as they faced death with courage and equanimity the trials and tribulations of guru arjan as he was martyred are well documented in the following excerpt from the jahangirnama or the tuzak e jahangiri the mogul emperor's autobiography jahangir the occupant of the throne of delhi clearly acknowledges his role in the execution and torture of guru arjan there was a hindu named arjan in gobindwal on the banks of the bias river pretending to be a spiritual guide He had won over as devotees many simple-minded Hindus and even some ignorant stupid Muslims by broadcasting his claims to be a saint. They called him guru. Many fools, dervish-garbed worshippers from all around had recourse to him and believed in him implicitly. For 3 or 4 generations they had been peddling the same nonsense. For a long time I had been thinking that either this false trade should be eliminated or that he should be brought into the embrace of Islam at length when Khusro passed by there this inconsequential little fellow wished to pay homage to Khusro when Khusro stopped at his residence Arjun came out and had an interview with him giving him some elementary spiritual precepts picked up here and there he made a mark with saffron on his forehead which is called kashk in the idiom of the hindus and which they consider lucky when this was reported to me i realized how perfectly false he was and ordered him brought to me i awarded his houses and dwellings and those of his children to murtaza khan and i ordered his possessions and goods confiscated and him executed the account is corroborated in a letter written on the 25th of september 1606 by a portuguese priest father jerome xavier from lahore which is presented in translation in the work jahangir and the jesuits While the prince Khusro was flying from Agra he passed the spot where there dwelt one whom the gentiles call guru 
a title equivalent to that of Pope among the Christians, this person was looked upon as a saint and was greatly venerated. On account of his reputation for holiness, the prince went to see him, hoping apparently that this would bring him good fortune. The guru congratulated him on his new royalty and placed his tiara on his head. Although the prince was a Moor, the guru deemed it lawful to bestow on him this mark of dignity, proper only to a gentile, since he was the son of a pagan woman, and the prince accepted it, believing the guru to be a saint. When, after his son's capture, Jahangir heard of the circumstance, he ordered the guru to be apprehended and for some time kept him a prisoner. However, certain Gentiles interceded on behalf of their holy man, and in the end he was allowed to purchase his freedom for a hundred thousand crusados, for which sum a wealthy Gentile became his surety. Now this man thought that either the king would cancel the fine, or that the guru himself would provide, or at any rate, find some means of raising the sum required. But in these hopes he was disappointed, and in consequence he proceeded to take from the wretched pontiff all his worldly possessions, including the furniture of his house and even the clothes of his wife and children. For these Gentiles regard neither pope nor father when money is concerned. And when this did not suffice to pay the fine, he subjected him to every kind of ill usage, causing him to be beaten with slippers and preventing food from being given to him in the hope that his victim to escape from his sufferings would produce the money which he still believed him to possess. But neither the guru nor those about him could meet the demands of his tormentors, and at last the poor man died, overcome by the miseries heaped upon him by those who had formerly paid him reverence. A wealthy banker named Chandusha served in the Mughal court as a minister. He hailed from Lahore, but his official duties kept him in Delhi. Chandu had a lovely seven-year-old daughter named Sadakor, and his wife was most anxious that a suitable match be found for her, as it was customary in those days for very young girls to be married off. Barbers at the time also doubled as matchmakers. The family barber, accompanied by the family Brahmin, was dispatched to seek a suitable bridegroom for the girl. The barber and the Brahmin searched high and low but could not find a suitable match. When they were in Lahore, they were told of Guru Arjan's son Hargobind, who was growing up to be a fine young man, and the two proceeded to Amritsar. They were dazzled by the esteem in which Guru Arjan was universally held and very impressed with young Hargobind. They returned excitedly to Delhi and told Chandu that they had found the perfect match for his daughter. Chandu's wife was very pleased, but her haughty husband was unimpressed. He disdainfully dismissed Guru Arjan as a mendicant who lived off the offerings of the faithful and admonished his representatives for trying to foster an unsuitable alliance. He likened his own position to that of a tile that embellishes the upper story of a lofty mansion and Guru Arjun's to that of a gutter. Chandu's wife, distressed that her daughter might remain unwed, harangued her husband until he grudgingly relented. The barber and the Brahmin were sent back to Amritsar with gifts and a marriage proposal. The Sikhs of Delhi had become aware of Chandu's rude comments and disrespect and wrote a letter to Guru Arjan. They felt that Chandu had disrespected not just Guru Arjan, but the entire faith of Guru Nanak. They advised the Guru to reject the proposal. The Guru decided to listen to their advice and turned down the proposal, refusing to accept the gifts. I am contented with my humble lot, he said. I have no desire to seek an alliance with the wealthy and the powerful. A humble Sikh whose name was Narayan Das 
rose and addressed the Guru. He had a daughter, and he would be honored if she was accepted as Hargobind's wife. The Guru smiled and nodded in assent. Narayandas left at once to purchase gifts for Hargobind. A saffron mark was affixed on the young man's forehead, and the betrothal was complete. Chandusha was enraged at the news and wrote an angry letter to Guru Arjun, begging that he not reject his proposal. While the letter contained flattering words and the offer of a large dowry, it also contained threats. He alluded to the Guru's bad relationship with his older brother Prithichand, who continued to covet the Guruship. He reiterated his own position of power in the Mughal court and warned of dire consequences if the Guru rejected his offer. The Guru went ahead with his plans, and Hargobind was married to Narayandas's daughter in a joyous celebration. Prithichand was invited too, but he declined. It was after the wedding that Prithichand conspired with Chandu to unsuccessfully complain to the Emperor Akbar about the Guru Granth Sahib, the Sikh scripture, as we learned in the last episode of the podcast. After Guru Arjun's passing, a tradition took hold, probably as a result of Mughal propaganda to shift blame away from the emperor for the Guru's execution. Chandusha was portrayed as the main villain and the person responsible for the Guru's torture and death. Of course, he had an axe to grind and was the Guru's enemy. But the execution? was clearly Jahangir's doing. Jahangir was not at all enlightened and liberal like his father, the Emperor Akbar. He was aware of the Guru's increasing influence and the rapid growth of the new faith. When Baba Buddha, the venerable Sikh who had served many Gurus and Pai Gurdas, had been summoned for the examination of the Guru Granth Sahib, one of the hymns read to the Emperor Akbar had been in Persian. Persian was the language of the royal court and of the Muslim elite. Many Orthodox Muslims were convinced that Guru Arjan had written in Persian specifically to convert Muslims to his new faith. What other reason could there possibly be for him to use the language of the Muslims? Jahangir wanted to scotch the perceived threat by either converting the Guru or executing him. There was one more reason for Jahangir's anger at Guru Arjan. In his lifetime, his father, the Emperor Akbar, had preferred Jahangir's son, Prince Khusro, to him. After his grandfather died and Jahangir became emperor, Khusro rebelled against his father. It was said that he had sought Guru Arjan's blessing and had received it. Khusro's rebellion had been crushed, but Jahangir was incensed that Guru Arjan had the temerity to receive his rebellious son. The fact that the Guru's court was always open to all, regardless of faith or station, was of no consequence to Jahangir. As an aside, notable Sikh historian Ganda Singh believes that the wealthy Gentile referred to in Father Xavier's letter who tried to save Guru Arjan's life by collecting funds to pay the fine, was none other than the much-maligned Chandusha. Sikh historians have provided detailed accounts of Guru Arjan's torture and death, but we turn to the poet and writer Pai Veer Singh's version, drawn from his book, Jeevan Prasang Sri Guru Arjan Dev Ji. The Emperor Jahangir decreed that the punishment of Yasa be awarded to Guru Arjan. Yasa is a Turkish word for a specific kind of punishment. The recipient is put to death and his property is seized. Murtaza Khan, the governor of the Punjab, 
was tasked with executing the punishment. It is likely that Murtaza Khan was anxious about the public response to Guru Arjan being tortured. He turned the task over to Chandu, hoping that Guru Arjan might be persuaded to embrace Islam, in which case he would be spared. If he refused, Chandu, a Hindu, would be blamed for the torture that would follow rather than the Mughals. The Guru was separated from the five Sikhs who had been arrested with him and was tossed into a separate cell. The Guru was also asked to include the praise of Prophet Muhammad and various Hindu deities in the Guru Granth Sahib with an offer of leniency. The Guru, of course, refused, saying that the truth was the truth and altering the scripture was out of the question. That was when the torture started. Writing this, the hand trembles, the heart races, and the pen wavers. But the forbearance of the Guru needs to be documented for the sake of mankind. The summer heat was at its fiercest. First, the Guru was made to sit in the burning heat outside. When the Guru seemed unfazed, he was placed in a cauldron of scalding hot water. The Guru, strengthened by his commitment to the truth, bore the pain with fortitude. He was then taken out of the cauldron and threatened with more torture. One can only imagine the condition of his ravaged body. The next day, sand was heated up and the Guru was commanded to sit on it. The Guru, his forbearance intact and unshaken, walked to the hot sand and sat down with equanimity, like a yogi settling into meditation, displaying no sign of distress. Then, buckets filled with hot sand were emptied over his head. Aivir Singh turns to the poet Santok Singh. Bhar karche tab upar paaye, neh kuchu kahyo na ang dulaye. Deh dishte tato ar baru, par sarir par bohadukh karu. Doe jam lag bada dinas, nahi tras man dushtan ki nas. Bethe rahe abol adol, satgur mehma maha atol. Ajar jaran ki od janai, इते कष्ट ते नहीं दिखाई इंद्र आद जे तक सुर सारे चक्रित चित गुर चलत निहारे On his body rains down burning sand moves he neither foot nor hand scalding sand is everywhere the pain intense so hard to bear the torture carries on all day unmoved relentless vicious they stay the guru sits silent and still his glory greater grow it will forbearance such by the guru shown savagery till that day unknown all the gods of the firmament gathered around in wonderment the next day a new form of torture was readied. A plate of iron was heated, and the Guru was seated on it. The pain was unbearable, and boils appeared all over the Guru's body. The Guru was tortured mercilessly in this manner for five days. On the fifth day, the Guru told his captors that he wished to bathe in the river Ravi. The guards assented. On the one hand, they hoped that the cool waters might calm him down and induce him to succumb to their demands. On the other hand, if he continued to be obstinate, the water running over his open wounds might become yet another form of torture which might soften him up a bit. Five of the Guru's Sikhs were allowed to accompany him, and with an escort of ten soldiers, they made their way to the banks of the Ravi. The spot 
is now marked by a Sikh Gurdwara or place of worship known as Dera Sahib. The Guru's body was covered in boils and sores, and the walk was excruciatingly painful. One of the Sikhs, who had been the Guru's servant for a while, supported him as he walked. The poet Santok Singh writes that only a great saint could have endured such pain as he describes what happened next. Bhojan kiyo na piyo paani, durbal tan sazaye khalthani, her her nar us bismaave, kya in disha bhai gurjaave, chit ke brit ek raste se, nijanand mein purav jaise, tan piraate dige na soi, mer hile na jim nar koi, sane sane ravi ke teer, पहुंचे छुयो नीर बड़सीर कर पंकज ते मुख अरबिंद करयो पखारन धीर मुकंद बृंद चुरे कर मुख सितलायो महा उशंता ज्योत पतायो गहपद पदम लंगा पखारे प्रवीशे जल में मज्जन धारे पुन पंचे सिख कीन शनाने गुरबानी को पाठ बखाने खरे भए सतगुरु परिवार जप जी पाठ सुनयो निर्धार भोग पे कर सीस निवायो पुन सिखन संग बाक अलायो अब हम चले परलोक पे आना चित जिम कहत सकल हम ठाना nor food nor water has passed his lips into feebleness his body slips those that see him are perturbed piteous state of the man they served enfeebled not his spirit though content and calm as it was before unaffected by the pain mighty mountain shook in vain step by step reaches the river ice cold water makes him shiver hands in the cold water brace thankfully washes he his face cooling water feels so sweet as from his face ebbs the heat his feet are washed with water cool body revives in soothing pool bade then two companions five mouth sacred words and feel alive all around the guru stand the mighty jap does hear the band the guru's chant is done it ends towards his servant master bends the time is nigh i shall depart i did as bidden by my heart the guru had declared that his end was near but an important task remained he instructed his six to seek out his son hargobind shri hargobind sang milije hum dishte bahut dheeraj dije kare na shok gobind gun gao apur sarv ko kaho mitao sayud hoye takht par raje जथा शक्त सेना कर साजे श्री गुरु अमरदास की अंश निकट हकारो कुल अवतंश प्रथम रीत कर लीजे टीका सकल बढ़िन संग कह बचनी का वृद्ध आदिक सिखन सनमाओ पुरा गुरन की रीत परमाओ नई रीत इक रण की कीजे अपर प्रथम समगति चली जय हर गोबिंद माई सन यूल सीख कम्फर्टिंग वर्ड्स टू हिम यूल स्पीक tell him to pray and not to grieve he shall lamenting six relieve he shall be girded and enthroned army raised and weapons honed summon he shall the guru's clan will gather each exalted man with saffron his forehead aglow to the elders honor he shall show respectful he shall walk steadfast the path of all the gurus past new trail of war my son shall blaze while honoring our hallowed ways guru hargobind would lead the six after guru arjan but as he prepared to shed his body guru arjan instructed his son to do something that no guru had done until then guru nanak had boldly confronted the emperor babar and had called him a tyrant he had laid down the principle of always fighting tyranny and injustice the great grandson of babar 
Jahangir had now set a new standard for oppression. Guru Arjan's final instructions to his son were very clear. Follow the ideals and the principles of the gurus who preceded you, but raise an army and get ready for battle. The time to confront tyranny head-on is here. There is a beautiful story wrapped around the poise and dignity with which Guru Arjan accepted the will of God. Of all the Guru Sikhs who were present at the time of his torture, there was one who must have experienced particular distress because of his close personal relationship with the Guru. Hailing from the faraway province of Sistan, He was a respected holy man in his own right. He had come to reside in Lahore, the provincial capital and the seat of power in the Punjab. He had first encountered the young Arjun in Lahore, where he had been sent by his father Guru Ramdas and instructed to remain there until sent for, away from the jealousy of his older brother Prithichand. The Guru's young son and the older holy man recognized in each other kindred spirits, and would spend hours together in prayer and discussion. The holy man's name was Mir Muhammad Man-ul-Islam. He was a Muslim peer or holy man, popularly known as Mia Mir, a Sufi saint of the Qadri order. Their friendship flowered as the years passed. The young Arjun was now Guru Arjun, and Miyamir was a renowned saint. When the Guru was about to embark on a new project, he sent word to Miyamir and asked him to visit Ramdaspur, a settlement that had been established by his father that went on to become the city of Amritsar. The Guru had been inspired to construct a grand temple dedicated not to any gods or goddesses from the Hindu pantheon, as was the norm, but to the one creator of the universe. It was to be a temple like none other. It was to have four doors, a testament to the principle of equality, inviting men and women and children from all directions, and even more importantly, all four castes, to come together in worship. In a gesture that was unprecedented in its Catholicism, the Guru asked his beloved friend Mia Mir, a Muslim, to lay the foundation stone of the Harmandar Sahib. It is said that Mia Mir balked at the notion to the point that he questioned the Guru about his intent. A man of great humility, Mia Mir genuinely felt that Guru Arjun himself was the appropriate person to lay the foundation stone, and when he expressed this sentiment to the Guru, he was met with an enigmatic smile. Two foundations are to be laid here, Saimi Amir, the Guru said. You shall lay one, and I the other. Miamir was puzzled, but the Guru didn't elaborate. Years passed. The bonds of affection between Mia Mir and the Guru only deepened. It is said that one day Mia Mir appeared at the Guru's court, his brow furrowed, in a somewhat perplexed state. After he had paid his respects and the usual pleasantries had been exchanged, the Guru gently asked Mia Mir if all was well, remarking that he seemed preoccupied and perturbed.
The Muslim peer, with some hesitation, worried that he might sound impertinent, haltingly expressed his concern. My beloved Guru, he began, it is often my habit to seek solace in your magnificent composition, the Sukhmani, which brings peace and joy to whoever recites it and ponders it. Yet, of late, my mind is besieged by doubts as I try to immerse myself in this composition. In particular, when I get to the seventh stanza of the ninth hymn, I find myself floundering in a sea of doubt, and my mind simply refuses to go on. My hesitation and my doubt is the source of my agitation, my guru. I beg you for succor. Guru Arjan looked at his friend with love and compassion, not in the least bit offended by Mia Mir's question, knowing him to be sincere and devout. Go on, Sai Mia Mir, he said. Share with us all the words that give your mind pause, the words that your mind refuses to accept. Have no fear. Perhaps everyone will learn something from your question. The Guru's court was abuzz. Was Miamir, one of the Guru's most beloved, respected, and celebrated followers, challenging him? Would the Guru get angry? Perhaps he might even call upon the learned and the wise in the court to respond to Miamir's question. The Muslim peer closed his eyes and began to declaim the words that were the cause of his turmoil. The will of God accepts with glee, he alone shall be called free. Sorrow and joy of one accord, sundered never from the Lord. Gold and dirt to him are one, poison and nectar difference none. Glory not cares to embrace, in beggars he sees royal grace. To the will of God obedient he, says Nanak, such a man is free. What of the Shabbat Sainji? asked the Guru. Why do these words bother you so? My master, said the agitated Miamir. To all your Sikhs, your words are gospel. They are the truth. And yet, as I ponder these words, I wonder, is it possible for any human to attain such a state? Is this hyperbole? Were you perhaps using these powerful words just to motivate your Sikhs? Surely such beings as you describe in the hymn exist only in the world of imagination. The whole court was holding its collective breath. The Guru's words had been challenged. Not an impertinence for sure, but they had been. And that too by Sai Amir. How would the Guru respond? Utter silence. And then, the Guru smiled, that same enigmatic smile, and warmly addressed Amir. My dear friend, he said, your question deserves an answer, and it will be answered, but not today. You will need to be patient. Miamir looked at the Guru deeply disappointed, fearful that his advancing age might rob him of the opportunity to understand the true meaning of the hymn that plagued him so, but he didn't say anything. days turned into years. Miamir's beard turned completely gray. He continued to visit his beloved Guru, outwardly calm, but with his angst at the unanswered question 
gnawing at his entrails. After all, the Guru had asked him to be patient. It would be unbecoming and disrespectful to betray any anxiety. And then dawned that fateful hot summer's day in the month of May in 1606. The Guru's court looked very different that day. He was surrounded by his beloved Sikhs, but anguish was writ large on their faces. The Guru calmly invoked the name of God, but today he was dressed in tattered rags and his entire body was covered with blisters. His lips appeared dry and chapped as they incessantly moved, despite the rain of heated sand falling on his head. The hot air, thick with menace, seemed to ripple with the hate-filled glances of Murtaza Khan, the Emperor Jahangir's vassal, and his hard-faced men. It was the fifth day of the Guru's torment. For four days he had been denied food, water, and repose. Repeatedly, Mughal officials would demand that he pay hefty fines before he would be allowed any food or water. The Guru steadfastly refused, maintaining that not a rupee from the offerings that the Guru's beloved Sikhs provided would be used to pay an unjust fine. At this point, a bent old figure stormed upon the scene and entered the charnel house where the Guru was being tortured. It was Saimi Amir, beloved of mendicants and emperors alike. A well-known and highly respected figure in Lahore, he was permitted to enter and proceed unimpeded to the Guru's side. Long before he reached the Guru, the old man could smell his burning flesh. A cry of Anguish escaped his lips as he beheld the Guru. The Guru who had sat on a velvet cushion as he held court, today seated on a blistering hot metal plate. The Guru who sat under royal awnings with his beloved six fanning him and honoring him, today sat with a stream of hot sand pouring down on his head. But hark! What did the old man hear? From the Guru's chapped and bleeding lips, in a calm, unwavering voice, the glorious strains of the Sukhmani. The old man listened closely. The Guru was reciting the seventh stanza of the eighteenth hymn. <laughs> He offers calm and burning heat As joy pervades my pain is fleet The fear of death, it leaves me too Saintly words as I accrue I am at last bereft of fear The mind is pure, of evil clear Soothing and warm is his embrace. Together we shall sing his praise. Ended forever these wanderings long. O Nanak, when I heard his song. The words sank in. Their import became clear. Miyamir stood transfixed, mesmerized. And then... He raised both hands up in the air, and a wail burst from his lips. My lord, my lord, my beloved guru, forgive me my trespass. Forgive me for doubting you even for an instant. I understand. I understand. In a flash, Saimi Amir understood the guru's words in the seventh stanza of the ninth hymn of the Sukhmani. They were not hyperbole. They were not flights of fancy. They were the second foundation that the Guru had referred to years ago when he had summoned the sage to lay the foundation stone of the Harmandar Sahib. With his body, Guru Arjan created the underpinnings of the edifice that was to be completed by his grandson 
93 years later at the greatest gathering of Sikhs ever in the hallowed precincts of Anandpur Sahib. On that day, Guru Arjun's willingness to pay the ultimate price for the sake of justice and liberty bore fruit and forever transformed a people. Again, we turn to Pai Veer Singh's reflection on the martyrdom of Guru Arjan. A poet, a musician, a lover and patron of the arts, an ascetic, a philosopher, an ocean of knowledge, a prophet of God, and not just a prophet, but a guru. What fortitude did he show in the face of unbelievable savagery? Who was this man? who unflinchingly braved such inhuman torture, and who were those men who unabashedly subjected him to such pain? This tale of pain and sorrow was to have a huge impact on the common people of India, a depressed people who had been crushed under the cruel rule of the Pathans or the Afghans, who were still reeling from the atrocities of Babur, who had just barely begun to breathe under the reign of Akbar, once again felt the shock of tyranny under the rule of Jahangir. The act of this great man, this great guru, this sensitive soul, his capacity to absorb the intense pain he was subjected to, and his willingness to sacrifice himself, injected a new spirit into the people. They had an epiphany. The Mughals could be confronted. Hundreds of years ago, Mahmud of Ghazni had swooped down on India and attacked the rich temple of Somnath with a tiny force. He had plundered it while millions looked on, paralyzed with fear. The fear enslaved them for centuries. The martyrdom of Guru Arjan gave hope to their descendants that they could overthrow the cruel yoke of the invaders and free themselves from tyranny. From the drops of sacred blood that dripped onto the sands of Lahore sprang a magical vine that would forever change the course of history. This was the third great institution that Guru Arjan was destined to build. The spirit of self-sacrifice that his martyrdom embodied flowed into the being of his Sikhs and forever became an essential part of their character. It was to bring them much pain and much glory. In 1606, Jahangir commanded Murtaza Khan to strike fear into the hearts of the Sikhs, to stem the egalitarian tsunami that had been unleashed by the ideals of Guru Nanak, by torturing and killing the fifth Nanak. History records the dismal failure of Murtaza Khan to carry out the bidding of the Emperor of Delhi. In 1984, General Kuldeep Singh Brard, who commanded Operation Blue Star, 
accompanied by his minions, set out similarly for the Hermandar Sahib at the command of the Empress of Delhi. He did not fare much better than Murtaza Khan. History is never kind to tyrants. The story of the Sikhs is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultar's Mime, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the Sikhs in Delhi in 1984. The Story of the Sikhs is produced by Almast Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Raghavu Pali by the well-known cellist Saskia Rao Dihas. It also features two traditional Shabads or hymns from the Gurmat Sangeet or Sikh sacred music tradition. The hymns are by the ensembles of Bai Dharam Singh Zakmi by Surjit Singh. The Story of the Sikhs is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, a nonprofit that helps young Sikhs in the diaspora understand the values of their faith. Serial entrepreneur Dr. Ratinder Paul Singh Ahuja and the Sawney Family Foundation. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are two things you can do to help us reach more listeners. Please subscribe to the podcast and be sure to write a short review. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. This concludes season one of The Story of the Sikhs. We will be back with season two of the podcast, which will feature the sixth guru Hargobind and his twin swords of power and piety. Thank you for joining us.